Welcome to Ludicrously Specific, the quarantine edition number one. This is Doug, who's uh, in lockdown in Onahunga. Uh, this is Steve, who's in lockdown in Matty. And uh, this is Darren, who's in lockdown on the North Shore. Ooh, and, man. <laughs> Sorry You about that. better believe it. You, <laughs> you're lucky I've even come down here to, uh, to brought myself down to your level to speak with you today. <laughs> so, references to about. Auckland chivalry that will be lost on anyone who doesn't live here. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, and uh, this is our, um, so we've been recording in advance, and we have two more episodes that are in the can from the pre-quarantine era, but um, we've decided to give this recording over Skype a go and see how it goes and just talk about what life is like a little bit, and then um, do a ludicrously specific topic as well that where we could draw on some past life experience. Uh, so we don't have the visual signals that we normally do. So there may be a few more awkward pauses as normal, depending on how vociferous I get in the, uh, editing process. Well, we might be talking over sun. each other as well at some point. I can't see that happen. So, no, 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 there's no way that could happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just basically just bear with us. That's what we're saying. Um, but we'll still be the same old people. It's just going to be slightly less polished, shall we say. Yes. Yeah, and, and Skeet sounds a little bit like he's coming over a shortwave radio, but we'll see how that uh, works <laughs> out over the course I, of I've that. Those two guys have got professional headgear. I'm wearing an old gaming uh, mic because I was not set up for this, but if I sound like I'm down the bottom of a well, send a dog, okay? <laughs> oh. I thought I, I, you sound like you're at the bottom of a well because you're at the bottom of a well. But... <laughs> What I do in my private time is up to me, okay? <laughs> Look, if you want to cosplay the end of Silent Rage, that's fine. <laughs> we don't judge here at Ludicrously Specific. So um, let's start with Skeet, because I think you've had the most uh, time uh, in the past few days. Um, obviously, everybody's personal and professional situations have changed dramatically, but how's life been for you, and what have you been watching? Oh, it's been pretty good. I mean, I'm on lockdown because I've got a school-age son, so he was out of school. Uh, a few days back, and uh, since I'm now house husbanding, it's been pretty good. Uh, haven't actually watched as much as I thought I would. We've been playing a lot more uh, video games, a lot more PlayStation 3 has been dragged out, and uh, a lot of wrestling games going on. I did watch uh, Life last night, uh, which was ooh, ooh. and really quite enjoyed it. It's, um, mm. it's, it's definitely, someone described it to me on Twitter as a cavalcade of terrible decisions, which it is, but... <laughs> You know, this is the Ryan Reynolds, Jake Gyllenhaal sci-fi, uh, right? Yeah, they kind of it's kind of very alien-ish, and but it's 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 quite a, quite a thrill ride. It really does keep the the sort of the pace up from start to finish. So I was um, uh, I, I think I referred to it as the anti-gravity, where it's kind of they're in space and you know everything's going to shit, and you're not quite sure they're going to get out of it. Whereas in gravity, you're really hoping they will. But yeah, yeah I mean, really. Good, actually, it was um, thunderous sound as well. I mean, it's, it's just phenomenally well made. It's uh, gave my speakers a bit of a workout there, and probably annoyed the neighbours for a while. But never mind, you know. It's the kind of bone-breaking horror that I'm not a fan of, and yet I really enjoyed this film because uh, I really like the characters. I it's um, that as they were being uh, s smashed into pulp, um, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I really liked these people, and it um, and I found that's always the best kind of horror experience for me when you care about the people who are being eviscerated in front of you. It's uh, 
it gives Glenn's more of an experience. Yeah, we did get a lot I, of I like the fact. Oh, sorry. Uh, here we go. Oh, no, I was just going to say I like the fact that um, nobody told Jake Gyllenhaal not to take it seriously, and nobody told Ryan Reynolds to take it seriously. <laughs> so you have these really different tensions of Ryan Reynolds, who's just playing it as a silly thing, and Jake Gyllenhaal, who's playing it like he's playing Shakespeare, and <laughs> it's a funny sort of tension that really works. I'd have locked in a in a space station there. You'd have the guy that just wants to be the comedy guy and wants to just keep everybody happy. And the other guy is very, very serious. I could see that happening. But um, yeah, Ryan Reynolds' character is, is fantastic. Jake Gyllenhaal is excellent in it. Special effects are, are just top-notch. And uh, it's, as you say, it's quite graphic, quite gruesome. Not so much graphic, but definitely gruesome. So, it's got um, that sort of Suspiria, the new Suspiria bone-breaky kind of horror yeah. type thing. It's uh, That's definitely the... The 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 um, the nastiness. So I remember I I saw this. I won tickets for it, and got to see it uh, at the IMAX. And I had ooh, no ooh. idea what the film was about at that point. It kind of just sort of snuck out. Yeah, that would be fun. Yeah, it has yeah. such an assuming title or unassuming title. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and Skeet, you've also been doing some uh, community focused viewings on Twitter, haven't you? I have. We've got a thing called Cinema Z, which we do each Friday night. We used to do this uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, there was a, a channel, TV channel here called The Zone, which was all sci-fi, which has gone off the air now. But uh, they would do a Friday night terrible movie, normally something from sci-fi, uh, you know, giant spiders or, you know, Lava Lantula, or they did all the Sharknadoes at the time. Is there and literally everyone... a Lava Lantula? There's, there's two of them. Uh, <laughs> of not... course there is. The thick one's called Two Lava, Two Lantula. Uh, it's... <laughs> It's not good. <laughs> but uh, basically, that's like. You could knock movie. me over with a feather right now. <laughs> uh, oh, sorry. Long their gags with it. Uh, and when the, the station went off the air, I thought, well, let's just keep doing this. So we started doing it through YouTube. And then uh, the account I was using got locked because apparently I was spamming the same hashtag over and over every Friday night. So we, we stopped doing that. But. Uh, this seemed like the perfect time because we've got a, a captive audience. So we uh, we kicked that back into gear a couple of weeks ago. And uh, now we're going to try and do that every Friday while everyone's locked down, just uh, using uh, Tubi these days because everyone can uh, can hit up Tubi. Cool. So it's hashtag cinema. I, hashtag I thought you would have cinema said cinema Z, Z but you cinema say cinema Z. Cinema Z, is that what I call it? That's what they called it on. So it was the zone, they called it cinema Z. So. That's kind of stuck. Well, I so call it Z. I'm I'm just going to call it Z. That's that's just that's just how it's going to be. So. I think it's I think it's the um, the B52s, wasn't it? On Channel Z, that's kind of stuck in my head. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you mean Channel Z, don't you? Channel skips? Z, yes, that's right. Yes, uh, on Channel Z. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Apart uh, from that, the only other movie I tried to watch was uh, Star Wars Episode Nine. Uh, Oh, do tell. Uh, kind of stopped after two-thirds of the way through. Um, oh, probably, really? I wanted to like it, but it just felt like it wasn't telling me anything, that it expected me to kind of fill in blanks, and it was just, it was like a bad RPG. It was just, you've got this? Good, now go and get that. You've got that? Go and get this. Go off to that planet. Get this. Just just tell me everything at once that I need to know. It's It really got quite irritating for me. So, um... It's a, it's a shame. I wanted to like it. I'm going to finish it off, as I say, but it's just... It, I'm having to do it in small, small bursts. It's, it's, not, it's not great. <laughs> that's, uh, that's about how I felt about it, except I was stuck in a theatre and couldn't move. So, 
Um, <laughs> at least I got it force-fed in one portion. Yeah. I I actually I found the first part kind of boring, and I almost fell asleep in parts of it. The second half sort of picked up for me. I, I saw it in the cinema, and I um, actually kind of enjoyed that. But as a whole, it, I don't think it works. It but there were parts. Yeah, from the moment it opens with, uh, you know, the dead speak, there's been a secret, there's been a, a mysterious broadcast across the galaxy. It's like, could could we hear that? No? Yeah, you can if you okay. played Fortnite. Oh, good. Yeah, I don't play Fortnite, and if they want to do that, they should have given me a free copy of Fortnite and told me to play it for a little while. Or, or read the, the book that they had they published. Sent me the book! <laughs> they don't know who you are, Skeets. <laughs> Why do they want me to spend money on their movie? <laughs> Anyway, yeah. that's, a, that's one of the, <laughs> but it's the irritations week. Apart from that, everything's going swimmingly. How about you? What have you been watching, Derek? Oh well, me. Well, I'll call this section of the the show "Life During Wartime" because that's my surname. <laughs> it's uh, oh. <laughs> excellent. Oh, Thank God. you. Oh <laughs> God! I like I'm glad that to part. see that in these trying times, dad jokes remain un- unscathed. <laughs> well, we it's. So I've I um I've been working during the day. It's uh, here on the shore um, at, from home. It's um, been watching a little, but not a lot. I have um, uh, have been participating in some films that have been played by the Dead Signal Film Club, and uh, which is quite a lot of fun. So that's a uh, that's a. A club which uh, would get together at the thirsty, the thirsty dog. You'd pay about ten dollars, and you'd see a film on a projector. It uh, happens every um, about once a month at the thirsty dog, and once a month at another location. So about twice in various places, and play all sorts of films. That uh, watched Crit- uh, Critters was played there, and Tremors, and various things and now they're uh, doing a watch party online and so you can find dead signal film club on facebook and you can join in if you guys want to it's uh, you guys assuming we've got more than two people um (laughs) listening to this uh they on wednesday night they played cannibal the musical which oh, is a South Park musical, so, uh, essentially. It's by the guys of South Park, but before South Park, or, or very early on into South Park. And yeah, it's it freaking awesome. It was so much fun. And yeah. uh, Friday night was de- The Deadly Spawn. Ooh, I've never yeah. seen that. Is it still oh, on, is it online somewhere? Uh, yes, I think we watched it off YouTube, so it's definitely... Oh, cool. Available, but oh my god, it's got, it's basically penis with now. teeth, giant penis with teeth. Yeah, I got to see it on on a big screen on thirty five mil film uh, some years ago uh, with uh, Ant Simpson, our uh, our Auckland film guru, and his, his uh, I think it was a patron saint. Yeah, patron saint of, of film of, of terrible film, and he played it for a Halloween uh, as a double feature with the Sorority House Massacre, which was uh, an interesting combo. <laughs> yeah, yeah it is, it's a lot of really goofy fun. Yeah, yeah, it's quite it's um, quite gory, ineptly so, but it's uh, it has a, a it has one or two surprises as you go through it as well. It's um, even though the acting is just god awful, but it's still it's well worth watching. It's a lot of fun, and yes, you can find that on YouTube. Yeah. Also, what I've been um, 
independently watching. Uh, yesterday, I um, didn't watch mo- uh, I'd, f- during the day. I didn't watch a movie. I thought I'd um, give the uh, Twilight Zone another rewatch. I've got a lovely Blu-ray of this the, is the original uh, the t- one, right? The TV show, yes, absolutely. And uh, considering that now it's we have time enough at last <laughs> to catch up on everything. <laughs> now that the Twilight Zone is caught up with present day. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. You know what well, happens that, if you say that? You're going to break your glasses or something, can you? Well, that was um, <laughs> that I I actually tweeted that yesterday. No one has responded. It was my very first tweet, and I got <laughs> an independent tweet other than joining in on your yeah, your thing Sarah, there. What, what's your handle? I spec guy. Look oh yes, guy. yeah, that's it, Ludspec guy. That's it. Uh, if you want to, you know. Catch up with Darren and show him just how terrible a place Twitter actually is. Uh, there you go. At <laughs> yeah. he, is, he is so innocent right now. So. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Not for long. But um, yeah, I, I watched some episodes from uh, the first disc of season three um, yesterday, and in particular, one called the uh, the Shelter, which is. Um, a very, very damning, very scary story about um, a dinner party where um, it's uh, everyone's having a lovely time and they're, they're making fun of the guy, the uh, the doctor who uh, over the past um, past year has been building a fallout shelter for his family. And they're just making fun of him all the way through, just very gentle. But and then uh, and then all of a sudden there's a. Uh, a radio announcement because of course there wasn't uh, too much access to television back then um there was a radio announcement to say that they um there was something strange in the sky get to your shelters or your basement uh, everyone takes off um and the the family prepare to go to the shelter and then all his neighbors come back demanding to be let in <laughs> and going to some extremes, and it's the, uh, it's yes, it's the 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 evils of uh, human nature, and that t- it's a tremendous episode, and it's. That I, sounds uh, highly felt, reassuring right now. Yeah, well, that, exactly. I suppose so, and I I actually felt really emotional by the end of it, which I wasn't expecting, but maybe it is during the, because of what we're going through right now, but it was just tremendous. I can't recommend that episode enough, as well as just Twilight Zone in general. And hey, what about you, Doug? What have you been uh, up to? Uh, well, I had a bit of an adventure getting set up to work from home this week, so um, the actual week was. Uh... I mean, it, it was pretty much the most stressful week in years for anyone in New Zealand, so I don't mean to say anything uh, and compare my challenges to anyone else. And I'm pretty fortunate to, you know, have work that will continue for the next four weeks and uh, things like that. And to be working, I edit television for a living and I'm working on an uplifting kids show. So uh, that's really nice because I've worked on, uh, you know, true crime stories. And at least I'm not having to deal with all of this and then listen to eight hours of grieving mothers or whatever so um, <laughs> um, it, it's, so so obviously i'm sort of looking for escapism but um the thing is kind of like what as darren's noted a lot of the things that we used to turn to to escapism are now our reality it's like mm-hmm. oh you know 
the, the Quiet Earth or Contagion or the Andromeda Strain or the Twilight Zone don't have that same transporting as normal. Um, and I and and I've also been scouring the internet for um, a lot of filmmakers are putting their work up for free at the moment. I think there's a lot of filmmakers who are frustrated that their rights holders haven't really done their work justice. And uh, I've started a little newsletter called Cultural Offset, which you can subscribe to at dougdilliman.substack.com. And there's links on my Twitter and stuff. But basically, it's just like trying to accumulate all these things that are coming left, right, and center. And one yesterday that came up was by the great documentarian Albert Mazels, who did Gimme Shelter and Salesman and uh, Great Gardens and uh, some documentary about the uh, Christo and his wife Jean-Claude and their projects over time. And he died in 2015, and his last film was a film called In Transit. And it was filmed on the three-day train ride uh, across northern America, uh, United States from Seattle and Portland all the way to, I think, Minnesota or someplace. And there was been some weird rights issues around it, and it's never come out. And so uh, on their site, which I think is in transitfilm.com, but I linked to it, they've suddenly just said, hey, we're putting this up for a week. Uh, for free, watch it while you can. Um, I think everybody figures that rights holders have bigger fish to fry right now than micro assorting <laughs> these things. So, <laughs> and so uh, I put that on. And so it's 70 minutes of just being on this train for three days. Mazel's is cinema verite guy who does really observational documentary. And so most of it's just watching these people and spending time with him and he's intercutting a west east journey and an east west journey so you're following the stories of both of these as they go in their opposite directions but um he doesn't give you any voiceover or any titles on screen apart from the very beginning where he tells you what the train is it's just so you kind of have to figure it out for yourself and, and it's suddenly really weird how just documenting quotidian reality has turned into science fiction. How something as simple as looking at a train window and seeing things go by is, is transporting to us into an impossible reality as three weeks ago, watching star Wars was, uh, and how watching two strangers sit across from each other and meet, meet each other. And, and one breaking down in tears and the other holding the other's hands to comfort them is suddenly like unimaginable, not just at the moment, but any time in the foreseeable future. And um, so, yeah, so it was a really moving film uh, and really transporting in, and also just the scenery is beautiful. The kind of time capsules that you get of uh, it was filmed in 2015 and, and to have, you know, these young guys, um, going out to the oil fields. Um, I don't know if either of you saw the overnighters, which played at the film festival a few years back, which is a great documentary about Willis. Um, it was released in the States by uh, draft house films, which should give you a sense that even though it's ostensibly, you know, this documentary about a pastor in North Dakota in a, in a boom oil town. And it's kind of, it starts initially being about the conflict between his desire to, for the um, church to provide shelter for these people who are coming here because they've heard there's money to be made on the oil fields, but don't have shelter or plans or, or anything when they get there. 
and then his parish is kind of like, uh, now, so now we have homeless people taking over our church. What's going on? And then it just escalates. Um, and Ant Timpson's a big fan of that one. And I might have skipped it if it hadn't been for his recommendation and the draft house and premature, but it's um, highly recommended. But this is a sort of a companion piece to that because many of the people on the train are young people who are don't have a college degree who've said, I'm going to go out there and get rich. And uh, one of the guys is like, yep, I've worked out in seven years. I can save enough money to own my own house and not have to worry about anything. And I did the math and, you know, that was 2015. It's 2020 and oil is about to go into negative pricing. Uh, so I assume that those jobs have for the moment dried up. Um, so there is some resonance, but anyway, um, yeah, there's there's a heap of really interesting stuff being disseminated for free, and I'm trying to share it through that cultural offset newsletter. Um, and even uh, the other thing we watched last night, um, because I had it on Blu-ray, was the um, film A Bigger Splash, which is by the director of uh, the recent Suspiria, as well as Call Me By Your Name, uh, Lucia Guadagnino. And uh, it's basically a remake of Swimming Pool, uh, or La Piscine is the original, with Alain Delon, and then... It got made with uh, Ludovic Sagne in 2004, a swimming pool. And it's kind of a ground-up reinvention with uh, Tilda Swinton plays a rock star who's had throat surgery, and uh, her voice hasn't come back from it. And her husband is Matthias Schunartz, uh, who's a recovering alcoholic who had, is also recovering from a suicide attempt. And they've decided to go hole up in the middle of nowhere on a small Sicilian island with this beautiful little villa with a swimming pool. And in rocks um, their mutual past acquaintance, one by um, sexual liaison, one by mentor, um, played by Ray Fines, who I've always thought of as a pretty serious lockdown kind of actor and it seems to have channeled 20 years of restrained going for the rafters into a single performance. It's one of my favorite performances of the decade. He has so much fun in this movie being a complete asshole of a record <laughs> producer and just storming into this villa and ruining everybody's lives. And meanwhile, he's brought along with him Dakota Johnson, who is, or so he claims at least his uh, recently discovered daughter uh, and who is kind of edging out this Lolita vibe slash this uncomfortably close to dad, even though they just met for the first time a year ago and uncomfortably close to anybody else and seems to be stirring shit for the sake of it. And so it's these four really damaged personalities colliding on this island. And then that also happens to be a central place where refugees are coming and, They've kept the central plot from Swimming Pool and La Piscine, which if you haven't seen it, I won't spoil. Um, but yeah, as both escapism, I mean, my wife and I were in Italy roughly this time last year as part of this five-month European jaunt, which we had nearly postponed for a year. And, and we're very thankful we didn't at the moment, um, needless to say. And who knows when we'll ever be able to go back. But I mean, I've always loved cinema that takes you to other physical places as escapism. And now pretty much going anywhere apart from your living room is uh, escapism. Yeah. Well, here's, here's an example that, uh, ladies and gentlemen, that we don't always agree. 
I fucking hated that that, that film. <laughs> I I won tickets to see it, and I it, I liked the the setting, <laughs> and 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 I'm and it's and it may just be it's not my kind of movie, but I, I didn't like any of the characters. I thought that Ray Fine's performance was way over the top and wasn't a good one. It's uh, nothing, nothing worked for me in that movie in any way. And unfortunately, I can't be too constructive about it because it's been a while since I've seen it and I've tried to exercise the memory of it from my mind. I passionately disliked this movie. All right, but, it but just I'm took not, us not being in the same room for the gloves to come off. Well, it's, uh, <laughs> but it's, I don't in any way. It's, I'm not denigrating your. It's um, not denigrating your love of or your like of that film. It's just for me that one didn't work in any any way whatsoever for me. And I, I'm quite I'm quite interested as to know why because it was quite a passionate dislike. But yeah, I'll I'll leave it alone now. <laughs> I, I mean, I definitely think it's a film that if you watch 10 minutes of um, basically from, you know, about 60 seconds after Ray Fine shows up, if you don't like it, there's not really any point in sticking with it. Like it is very, it, you know, there's some films where it's like, oh, you got to hang with it to see where it's going. And this one is definitely like, here's the tone. It either slots in with you or you run away from it. And Lucian Guadagnino is interesting. Be an expectation. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Continue. Oh yeah, uh, Lucia Guadagnino is interesting because I feel like his films are actually very different. Uh, you know, I mean, this is shot on really hyper detailed thirty five mil, and then Call Me by Your Name was super grainy sixteen, um, and then Suspiria I hated actually. I hated the new Suspiria, um, bar one or two scenes which were excellently done, um, but overall I just thought it was such a misstep on so many levels. But I am I'm also like curious to revisit it because as you say that i mean i'm a strong believer that the first time you watch a movie it's relative to your expectations of what you're trying to do what it's trying to do and the second time you see it for what it is like i hated once upon time in hollywood the first time and then i it just kind of stuck in my mind and i went back and watched it and then i'm like oh now that i'm not expecting this to have a driving story and kind of get that it you know, and I got in my head early that maybe it was an apology for Harvey Weinstein and stuff, which, having read a lot, I really don't think was Tarantino's point. But is is a defensible reading, but I don't think is one that it's one that sort of overwhelmed my viewing on the first time. I would be intrigued to to um, watch a, a bigger splash again because I have a feeling that uh, I loved I Am Love. I thought that was. And, and it is the same director. I'm sure I'm, I'm right on that one. Is that correct? Yes, that's that was, correct as well. Yes. yes. And it's also a very yeah. boldly direct film, those shots in the staircases. Mm. Tilda Swinton again, of course. And I think I was expecting more along those lines. And it was a very, very different film to it. it yes, it wasn't. It uh, didn't have that sort of quietness which i am love has <laughs> there was no fucking quietness when ray fines was in the scene it's <laughs> but yeah i'm i would be intrigued because especially when i have such a passionate reaction to a film when i passionately hate something then i wonder what was what's behind that that's uh, i'm i try not to be too close-minded on on any given film but uh, there, so I always films that are going to grate on you. I mean, I haven't seen any of these films you've talked about, including the, the Suspiria remake, because I loved the original and I couldn't be bothered to see well, the new one. You can go on Prime and watch it, it now. 
I know I could. I've got it. I could have watched it any time in the last six months, and I just <laughs> haven't had the impetus. But but it's there is movies that just clash. Uh, I mean, for instance, think the Garbage Pail Kids movie. Uh, you think? Oh God! My, oh, the Garbage Pail Trash would be great because that is a trash movie. But it is an irritating trash movie that I absolutely, absolutely hate. It's a fantastic play, piece of cinema. It's amazing <laughs> cinematography. I'd put up there with Scorsese. It's just, it's just. Uh, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, that's the only movie I've ever walked out of. Briefly, and, then... <laughs> and yelled "fuck you, Ant," I believe. Yeah. And that will bring us hopefully around to what our actual uh, ludicrous subject was. Just a segue. <laughs> yeah, so um, so now that we're like a half hour in, I we can actually get to the topic, um, which we decided would be. Uh, now I've pretty much got to know Skeet through the twenty-four hour movie marathon, which is one of the greatest um, communal movie experiences imaginable. Uh, twenty-four hours lockdown typically at the Hollywood theater together with a bunch of film nerds and what now seems like a hygiene debacle, but uh, <laughs> it always was, trust me, it always was. Yeah. Yeah. It, perhaps it's just more worrisome now, but you know, we'll see. But um, yeah, I started going in 2004 and it's been a cornerstone of my movie going uh, life and by extension, my social circle in Auckland and um and since communal viewing is something that at the moment we can only do kind of remotely or have memories of, I thought it might be nice to celebrate uh, each of our top three uh, memories of uh, movie marathon, either the films themselves or uh, specific communal experiences related to the films, which is somewhat complicated by the fact that at least for the last eight years, the programming has been uh double plus secret uh do not disclose under penalty of death so there's a few amazing experiences from recent years that uh i'm not at liberty to discuss uh and but nor I are we <laughs> yeah so skeet do you want to start off with uh your first choice or one of yeah, your three choices you tried to tell me to get three Three things, three movies, three experiences from the marathon. I've been going to this the longest. I started in 2002. So somewhere over 200 different movies that I've seen. Uh, 2002, 2003 were only nice easy ones, 10 hours and 8 hours. Uh, 2004 it went full on into the 24 hours you're locked down. Uh, the first one I want to talk about, though, is one of the earliest movies, probably the actually the first movie that I saw at a movie marathon and this was at the civic theater in auckland and the civic is it's one of the old school picture palaces it's, it's gorgeous it's my one of my favorite places in auckland uh and the most uncomfortable seats in auckland back in 2002 so we were there for 10 hours and it turned your buttocks into putty in about one and a half so by the end of 10 hours people were sitting on the floor and in the aisles because the seats were so bad uh but the very first thing that i saw in my very first movie marathon was Revenge of the Cheerleaders. Uh, and <laughs> if you haven't seen Revenge of the Cheerleaders, I will say right off the bat, it is an objectively terrible movie. It is not a good movie. But it has just some of the most amazing things. I mean, it is such a grindhouse movie that the first nudity, the credits are still playing over the top. As <laughs> so literally cheerleaders in a car, 
changing clothes as you do as you drive down a busy street in California. And the best thing about it, of course, is the cast list has Cheryl Rainbow Smith, who is one of my favorite Grindhouse B-movie uh, actresses, and a very young David Hasselhoff. And, and Little Hoff. And Little Hoff. He does get naked at one stage and turns around towards the camera, and we like to block that memory from us if we could. <laughs> People I have not seen this film, and you're not selling it. Which is probably lucky. But help I tell you, David Hasselhoff plays a character called Boner. Oh God! Um, <laughs> and this is not this is not pornography, to be clear. Not pornography. It's basically a a, a raunchy uh, high school comedy. That's uh, almost two movies in one because the first half of the movie is just just shit happens. Like they. The, the cheerleaders do inexplicable cheerleader dances, and there's a running gag where they try to get uh, taken out of the cheerleader squad because the, the Brighton principal doesn't like them, I'm trying to get the, the, the posh girls, the rich girls, in there instead. And there's a, a massively long, overly long sequence where the cheerleaders steal a bunch of drugs from a rival school, throw it into the spaghetti at their school, and then get everybody stoned. And there's about a five to ten minute long food fight sequence intercut with the cheerleaders and their boyfriends in the shower and it just it goes on and on and on and halfway through there's almost a screecher break so they go shit we've got to have a plot so suddenly we have to have a plot where they need to win a basketball game and the cheerleaders are not in there and the only way that this terrible basketball team led by david hasselhoff who is tall but is incredibly white and can't shoot a basket any more than i can can win is by having the right cheerleaders because apparently coaching doesn't do a thing there you have to have the right otherwise you suck. So it's they they kind of add become Scooby Doo with tits, basically, is the best way to describe it. indeed. Jinkies everywhere. Uh, but it's, it's, they just run around the place. There's there's a another subplot with uh, the school is going to be closed down and turned into a shopping mall, uh, which involves them uh, ending up in a bunker in the Bronson can- caves. Uh, it's 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 almost impossible to describe the plot because as i say there's many of them and yet none of them at the same time but it is just a, it's just a heck of a lot of fun it's so goofy that you can't take it seriously it's sleazy enough that you can just if you just want to sit back and wait for gratuitous nudity it takes every you know 10 15 minutes and there's a character in it who has a sex scene but looks incredibly like uh the crocodile hunter which is really terrifying <laughs> Oh, no. He even turns up in the like the, the crocodile hunter's like safari suit, and at this stage, because we we at our movie marathons, we don't shout stuff at the screen like some movie marathons around the world. I'm looking at you, Beefest. Although I would definitely come and shout stuff at the screen in Chicago if I could. Uh, we kind of sit there and respect it, but in the Civic, we are so spread out. Everyone was making jokes about it, and when this character appeared, and when my friend next to me shouted, "Crikey, really hard!" I just just about fell <laughs> So. Um, it has also got the best inexplicable dance number of the 1970s, where this group of cheerleaders and their boyfriends do a full choreographed dance number to a song called I Feel Good. And David Hasselhoff does a dance that is simultaneously riding a motorcycle, doing a haka, and being electrocuted. And I will put this up on Twitter to show you what this looks like, because it is the best thing you'll ever see. That sounds I'm not sure what that <laughs> I'm not going to be rushing to Twitter let's <laughs> I'm going to tag you in there you are going to have to see this because it is amazing 
All right. Um, and Darren, what's your uh, first choice? Well, I I suppose uh, in terms of what we're allowed to talk about, because there is an embargo on everything past 2011, and 2011 happened to be my first marathon. So we're going to be kind of within the ballpark of 2011. And when I say within the ballpark, we're going to be in 2011. So uh, it's the, the very first film I saw at the marathon was Prime Cut. Ooh, which, good way to start. It's, which is a great way to start. An actual fact to uh, it's, uh, to skip back is um, I went over to, uh, to Skeet's place first at, uh, before the marathon, as we drove in together, and we watched a movie before we watched 14 other movies, which seems like the best way to, to set anything up. And we watched, because uh, I'd never seen it before, Miracle Mile. Oh, Miracle Mile. Yeah. It's probably not the best thing to watch at the moment, to be honest. Well, that's true, but it's a... We, I'm only touching on it, but it is a yeah. fantastic film. and it's I do a, agree with you on that, yes. It's a, a fatalistic romance, and uh, and it's just tremendous. And uh, having rewatched it... At, yeah. Sorry, what was that, Skeet? I was saying, the less you know about it, the better. I mean, don't look it up. Don't go on the IMDb. Absolutely. And watch it. Uh, Steve DeJarnette, I think, is the director who also did Cherry 2000. Yeah. Uh-huh. And Anthony Edwards and Mayor Winningham are the uh, stars. Yeah. Absolutely. And um, they actually played it at the Hollywood about a year or so ago, and they had an introduction from the director who was just so taken with us that we were uh, so devoted to this movie that uh, didn't get that much play out uh, back out in America. So uh, was yes, um, that was a great way to pre-start the marathon, and we won't talk too much about it. Just watch it. And I believe it is out on a... It must be out on some kind of a right stream. Now, I believe it's out on Blu-ray, uh, definitely... I assume it's on a streaming service, but I couldn't tell you where at the moment. But I know there is a Blu-ray out and about. And Prime Cut is a a, a nice, dark, nasty, neo... Would it be neo-noir? Well, I suppose it's... I call it a country noir, basically. Country noir. It's, it's a film noir yes. in a rural area. And as long as you spell it correctly, country noir <laughs> is... Uh, yeah. is the way to go and uh, an amazing cast we've uh, got lee marvin we've got um gene hackman playing a uh, the bad guy and there's a very young sissy spacek mm. very young first role i think it was her first first uh feature film at least mm. and there's lots of meat processing yes yeah. also yeah, it's um and some humans on hooks and it's just um it's a it's a dark gritty uh, awesome a country noir spell it the right way and um that really packs a punch it's uh, and also quite a lot of fun too there's uh, yeah. some great witty moments along the way as well I'd, again it's I don't want to give you too much of the storyline on this one. Because it's uh, because you should watch it. It's uh, unlike the Revenge of the Cheerleaders, where you can tell as much as you like about that story. Because oh. you really shouldn't go and watch it anyway. But oh, uh, go for it. 
<laughs> but yeah, Prime Cut is just a tremendous film. And I remember that uh, was my first experience at the marathon. So we uh, were sponsored by V back then. I think it might have been the last time yeah, we were sponsored the, by V. Yeah, it was. Because uh, they almost lost the marathon the next year because they didn't get a sponsor once. These are local okay. energy drink. Uh, and it was last minute when I think Vendetta Films jumped in on board and uh, and sponsored it and managed to get the next one going. But yeah, we we were pretty pretty well caffeinated for the first you know five years. So <laughs> absolutely, I think it was the first. Um, it might have been um, the t- first two years I sat in a chair and then I discovered the joy of a bean of of uh, beanbag seats, which were much, much more comfortable and, mu- and much more supportive of the back. Well, but, once we're, we're all in our 40s now, so um, it's uh, <laughs> it's definitely beanbags or nothing. I mean, if I tried sitting in a chair for 24 hours, I'm, I've been sitting in this chair for, what, 45 minutes doing this recording and already going, eh, I can do it with a lie down. <laughs> Some of us, I might add, are in the earlier part of the 40s than, than further on. It's, uh, yes, yes. And we all have our own decrepitude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, shut up. <laughs> but yeah, Prime Cut was just tremendous, and uh, I'd love to talk about the Eliminators, but I, I think that Skeets might have more to mention Actually, about that. Eliminators is not on my list, but it is a, a great film as well. well Eliminators. I've, I've brought it up, so let's let's talk about it. The, talk about it. We don't have we, we have no rules. We're locked out. <laughs> well, Skeets, talk about Anarchy the Eliminators and the New Zealand. What <laughs> <laughs> <But> the rules? <laughs> Yeah, well, Eliminators played, uh, so they played 2011 as well, and it came, so Prime Cut, Eliminators, and Attack the Block was our triple feature to start off with, which is... An amazing way to start. An amazing way. Eliminators is basically 1980s video. It's, once again, it's got six different plots running simultaneously. Half of it wants to be Indiana Jones. Half of it wants to be Cyborg. Uh, There's... uh, None of this is competent. For no reason. There's sci-fi... It's just, I think it's Charles Band that does it. It's just everything appears at once, and it is just a bundle of laughs. Uh, I have a little soft spot for it because there's a character in it uh, called uh, Mandroid. Yes. And Mandroid is basically a Robocop-ish kind of ripoff, but he has he has his mobile unit, which is a, a sort of a half-track tank that he can strap himself into. And in mobile he, unit, I think. He uses it twice because on the second time he literally rolls across a small rocket, falls over sideways. <laughs> and I won a pack of DVDs later on by imitating that on stage in front of 220 nerds, uh, including my entire box set of uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. So I would like to thank Mandroid for being so fucking incompetent that I won DVDs. <laughs> Oh yes, and it actually had some notable actors in it too. Uh, Denise Crosby from uh, Star Trek and um, one of the Pet Cemetery films, I believe. Everyone's got to start somewhere. Absolutely, and Roy Detrice, who was a already a well-known British actor, who is also, um, I think, a, a year or two later, was uh, in Beauty and the Beast as the TV show as father. It's. Uh-huh. Um, but it was not his best moment in any no. way. He was the bad guy, and uh, he got with the uh, to eat a lot of scenery. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> and he uh, he had was it a skin condition? Terrible makeup. It's, yeah, uh, a lot of lot of lot of kind of prosthetic makeup to make him look all kind of scarred and weird and evil, and it just yeah, it's it's as I say, it's 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 
classic 80s video trash, and it's it's really worth watching if you if you like something that you can drink three beers during your course of movie and and shout at the screen. It's great. I wound up buying it on DVD, just yeah, because it's that done. And it was like in a four pack for eight ninety nine. Um, <laughs> I still haven't watched America three thousand or whatever else is in the four pack, but um, it's worth it just for knowing that at any time I can watch Mandroid fall over and think back to Skeet falling over on stage. <laughs> uh, my mobile unit. Ah, thud. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, that's excellent. Well, that's, that's my, it's uh, your turn now, I think, Doug. Yeah. Um, I just double checked. I realized I was totally lying before my first year was 2005 and there were some things I liked about 2005, but it also started off with some really brutal horror films that I wasn't um, didn't have the stomach for at the time, like The Devil's Rejects and Saw Two. Uh, there were some highlights, but it was really 2006 where I'm like, I'll give this thing a second go. There's definitely some stuff I really enjoyed. The 35 millimeter trailers are fun, uh, and 2006 was wall to wall bangers oh, as far as I'm concerned. And and there were quite a few, there were a couple, there were three favorites that I had already was familiar with um, to see go down in front of a big crowd. Uh, Lady Terminator, which is um, a film that I've actually, a friend of mine was writing a book, uh, editing a book on 80s action cinema. And I wrote a chapter on Lady Terminator for it and it was never published, but he, um, I wound up uh, putting it on a blog at some point and it's been used by a couple cinemas uh, when they've done retro screenings of it as a tease. Um, it is, yeah, Lady Terminator is incredible. We could talk about it for ages. We could talk about Burial Ground for ages, which oh, is yeah. probably the first time I sat next to Skeet in a theater <laughs> and uh, and went from two. I discovered his um, unparalleled uh, ability for riffing two minutes in when the uh, bearded <laughs> person is in the underground dungeons and sees a zombie and he yelled run Gimli uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm not, I'm not you, you, big you on a good time after that weren't you that's, that's why you stuck around for all this yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> um, and then of course um, and I'll skip uh, I hadn't seen that one before I had seen Listomania which um, is such a brilliant film by Ken Russell I discovered it because the musician Jim O'Rourke had mentioned in some interview um, that it was like, if you could figure out one thing, it would be dot, dot, dot. And he said, how Listomania got funded. And uh, <laughs> when you, when you watch the uh, rock and roll musical of uh, Franz Liszt, uh, I don't even want to start describing it. Just so brilliant. And because I'm trying to get through all this genius and many others to the Holy mountain, which was my first introduction to Alejandro Jodorowsky, which came 11 movies deep somewhere at five or six in the morning. I don't know into uh, this mind melting cavalcade of madness and, and to break out this beautiful 35 millimeter print of an unparalleled psychedelic journey uh, by the great, great, uh, you know, often ludicrously self-indulgent, no question. Uh, up himself, yeah, definitely. He's in the process of making a four-volume uh, set of films about his childhood. Uh, retrograde views. I mean, if you've seen Jodorowsky's Dune, you'll know that he is not the most woke guy in the world. But uh, it was one of the most... Uh, Amazing, you know, it just the story of its making is more or less 
that he somehow got the guy to manage the Beatles to give him a lot of money to make a film. And so just the match of ludicrous spiritual ambition and budget uh, to visualize his ideas with these impossible sets and this psychedelic journey that he as a shaman character is taking these other actors on who just are willing to go the extra mile. Um, But also it was a film that I was so deeply locked into um, that about 80% of the way through it was like, I think everybody in this cinema must be having the same ecstatic religious experience I was with now. And that my um, then girlfriend literally said, fuck this shit and got him. And, <laughs> and I was like, Oh, maybe not. But, um, and which was, um, fully confirmed the next year when they put another Jodorowsky film and half the audience booed, um, as soon as the name came up. Uh, but, um, yeah, that, even though there was a, um, more famous, uh, interactive experience that year, uh, which we may or may not talk about, later uh that that was the moment that i was a a movie marathon goer for life uh the holy mountain just it was the the placement of it because i because i used to write massively long movie reviews of these uh you know huge recaps twenty thousand word recaps and i've just found my recap from 2006 uh under the title did everything just taste purple there for a second uh, <laughs> Sunday, twelve forty-five. The marathon started that year at five o'clock in the evening, the day before. So we were what I can't even do the math on it. Seventeen hours in, and yeah, in between to live and die in L.A. and Black Agent Lucky King, aka Solomon King. And apparently, while you were having your religious experience, I managed to write down one note in my book that simply read, "What monkey?" And <laughs> <laughs> I did. Good. I've never. It's it's the most, as you say, pretentiously art fest I've ever sat through, and I really did enjoy it. And I watched it again later on. I actually paid to watch it, not sleep deprived, and it was a completely different experience. So it's it's definitely one of those movies where you don't so much watch it as you just experience it. You just kind of let it hit you. And at that stage, seventy odd hours in, I did note that. Whereas the year before, there was, I think, um, or a couple of years before during break-in, which was about the same time, half the place was asleep. I turned around to look behind me because I was up near the front of the theatre. Every single person was sitting up watching this thing, looking confused and concentrating and slightly amused. There was not a single person that had fallen asleep. Everyone just seemed compelled to go, what the hell is going on? I mean, one Um, of the problems you can have with genre films is that they can become quite predictable and one of the great things about so many of the films that get programmed is incredibly strange is they take your expectations or sorry at movie marathon is that they take your expectations and completely upend them like fight for your life was in that um slot the previous year which in a very different way also just breaks your brain in terms of what you think is allowed to happen on screen and what actually happens a very grindhousey film even for me that's that's it's hard to watch that one. It's just yeah. So, so rough. And I mean, it, it grinds you down for about 90 minutes. You know, after 90 minutes, about 80 minutes, is just constant racial epithets and violence and sexual violence. And at the end of it, there's some revenge. But by that stage, is it too little, too late? Yeah. yeah, we should probably save that one for films you shouldn't watch during your <laughs> lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> Not ones you should watch with your grandma either. So, um, yes. <laughs> right. Are we, are we moving on to yeah, round number two? Yeah, number two to you, Skate. 
Right. Well, I was going to go sort of sequentially, uh, which took me into 2006 because I was going to talk about Lady Terminator. But before that, just one little honourable mention, the year before 2005, which was for me a hell of a year. That was your first year. started with The Descent, which is I'd never heard of at the time. Absolutely oh, that was loved. great. Yeah, that was a great start. We got the, the terrible uh, semi-pornographic New Adventures of Snow White, which um, I, do, I did re- try and rewatch, and I don't recommend that. It's just god-awful. We got the full-on Joe Sarno Confessions of a Young American Housewife, which, once again, don't watch that with your grandparents unless they're very, very open-minded, because uh, it's just <laughs> top course leaves for 80 minutes. And then we got Mummy, Nanny, Sunny, and Girly. Oh, uh, yeah. mum, sorry, Mumsy, Nanny, Sunny, and Girly. Uh, very interestingly British black comedy, which had mm. definitely my favourite moment of the marathon, where we got to the final reel, and this was on 35 mil. And everyone's starting to drop off a little because the film's fairly, fairly deliberately paced. And the final reel came up upside down and running backwards. <laughs> because they'd spliced it in upside down. And the theatre woke up very quickly. And they, they stopped. They started playing it again. I tried standing on my head to read it, you know, watch it backwards. And then we just stopped the movie. We didn't actually see the end of it. So it took another year before I saw that one. But that was definitely an honourable mention of, of an upside down reel. We've had a few mixed up reels where we've had some 1960s dirty raincoat movies that have been projected out of order, which really helped. But in 2006, we started with Lady Terminator on film. And I know it was on film because literally 30 seconds into the film, the film broke. So we started off, we got one shot. <laughs> That's of a car. good start. Someone said next to me, it's just a model, click, and we're in darkness. So, 30 <laughs> seconds to the first fucking film! <laughs> I remember that. That was a uh, big moment. Yes, and I think I know who did that too, but uh, I won't name it. But uh, that, uh, once it kicked off again, Lady Terminator is just a genius piece of Indonesian exploitation. It's basically what happens when you've seen the movie Terminator, and you want to replicate it, but you don't have the budget, the skill... And, you know, the competence to pull it off. And what was the got... term, uh, Skeets, that you used for these types of movies? Jakarta Be Kidding Me? Jakarta Be Kidding Me, yeah. Because <laughs> Jakarta Be Kidding Me, this is, it's insane. It kind of wrapped a uh, Indonesian legend of the the, the, the sea queen, the, the witch of the sea. And South Seas. Uh, South Seas, the witch of the South Seas, and Terminator into the same movie. With, so you've got a female Terminator. It's also known as Lady... Uh, Lady Terminator is also known as uh, Nasty Hunter, I believe. Yep. <laughs> uh, oh, that's brilliant. So much better. Uh, it stars Barbara and Constable in her one and only film, made in 1989. Oh, that's a shame. Uh, she started off as a professional dancer in Australia and then uh, went to uh, Indonesia... And Hong Kong's a model after she got a leg injury and was cast for Lady Terminator and nothing else ever since. But it is, once again, just a joyous run of, of craziness. I mean, you literally start with this character who is not a trained actor, who is tries to tell everybody that she's a, quote, an anthropologist. I'm not a lady. I'm an anthropologist. <laughs> which was a beautiful line. Uh, and then she falls into the ocean uh, because of a tidal wave. And they shoot a tidal wave in, in this movie by basically putting <laughs> the camera down next to the beach and letting an actual wave splash at it in slow motion. It's unconvincing, I will say. <laughs> and then she eventually walks out of the sea as a naked Terminator. So everything about that is in my wheelhouse, as you can probably tell. Uh, 
and it, from there on, it just becomes, they try and do scenes from Terminator. They try and do beat from beat scenes from Terminator, but there's musical numbers thrown in because it's Indonesia. There's the, the scene where they, the Terminator takes over, the shoots up a, a police station. She shoots one guy 45 times. He falls down. She shoots him five more times and kicks him in the nuts. It's just Schwarzenegger <laughs> did not do that, and I would have loved it if he did. I, I do think it's worth saying also at this point that I think it's unfair to Lady Terminator to make it sound completely inept because there are some they're doing some giant stunts in this. You know, this oh, isn't yeah. like True. kind of like the car chase and saw or something like this. This is like actual like real dangerous giant scale stuff, and some of it's captured semi competently. Mm, yeah, definitely, but um, it's, it's I just watched the opening to Quantum of Solace. Oh, I was just going to say I watched the opening to Quantum to Solace, Quantum of Solace last night, and I would say it's a lot easier and more convincing to watch what's going on in Lady Terminator than it is on James. I can't even remember Quantum of Solace as I mentioned. It was so boring. This one I probably have seen at least four times since this played at the marathon, and I could. There's so many scenes burned into my head. Characters, my favorite supporting character of any movie marathon snake snake has a flat top mullet and he basically shouts all of his lines and he drives the tank i'll get the tank and you know what the tank is it's basically an suv that they've tried to turn into a tank it's kind of a it's 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 hard to describe once again but he drives that and screams a lot and you know eventually blows the thing up he's once again he's, he's one of these guys that if you're gonna have a, a you know a prop you have to blow it up at the end of it so snake is just one of the most amazing characters i've ever seen the the whole terminator ripoff is is wonderful though because they they throw so much shit at the wall there's i mean characters are getting their penises bit off basically uh by lady terminator basically <laughs> the the tagline was first she mates then she terminates uh so <laughs> So basically, every horny guy in Indonesia, which is every character that appears on screen, ends up having basically getting boinked to death by Lady Terminator. Yeah, so I should just clarify this point a little more, which is that the South Seas Queen actually has a snake that lives in her vagina. And what happens in the opening scene, which has several hundred years in the past, is that um, she has a series of men who cannot satisfy her, and um, the snake does what it will, and then she meets a man who cannot <laughs> satisfy her. And when she's he's she's not looking, he removes the snake, which then transforms into a dagger. And uh, yeah, and then he curses um, her great that or she curses his great great progeny, and that brings us to the present day, which is I think pretty much how Skynet got started as well. <laughs> <laughs> if you're lucky, the snake won't do what it will. <laughs> it yeah. would be would yes. be preferable. True. Yes. <laughs> and the opening sequence, which is great because of the, especially the term once again burned in my head. In 100 years, I'll, uh, I'll launch my curse on your great great granddaughter. And if I'm the guy that's, that's done that, I'm just like, I don't give a shit. It's 100 years from now, I'm dead. Who cares? Do what you want. It's fine. But uh, there's uh, the plot, uh, plotting in it. I mean, you got two two American actors in there, or Australian and American actor, and uh, you know the, one of the worst cops we've seen uh, and on screen during the marathon because he's he basically at one stage he says, "Oh, I've seen more corpses than you've seen hot dinners." It's like, but he hasn't. He doesn't actually solve any of these crimes. He, he you know, he's he's not a good cop. There's there's a lot of incompetent cop work, and when they shoot up the cop station, they just made 
policing worldwide slightly better incrementally just by taking those guys out. So it's it is as I say one of the the best experiences I've seen there film breakout side. But um, I would watch that again any time, and I will show that to anyone that wants to see it uh, once we're unlocked. We have you ever done that as a cinema Z? I have. Uh, oh no, I was going to say have I. I might have done that at some stage. I'd have to look back see if I ever did that. If it was only if it was on YouTube, I think because I was, I was trying to upload it. I think to YouTube one time, kept getting copyright violation, which was kind of hilarious. Ripping <laughs> 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 the Terminator. No, you can't have that. Someone's got that in copyright. Yeah, James Cameron. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to watch Lady Terminator with James Cameron because I actually think, um, I mean beyond the obvious reason. Um, James Cameron, as much as we know him now as a $300 million thing, started out, you know, Roger Corman school, small and scrappy, and was famous for saying things like, you know, give me a hill, two guys, uh, two camouflage outfits, and I'll make a World War II film, you know? Um, and, And I do think the level of creativity and working through limitations and, and, bang for budget and lady terminator is actually not laughable but impressive um but it's just combined with such crazy cornball things and also it's all dubbed right so like Mm -hmm. was it was it a little less silly when it was in indonesian who knows barbara ann constable um would have been in english so i i don't really know (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I think it's pretty silly, but so, I mean, it's as I say, it's the good type of silly. It's not the one where you're kind of going, "Good lord, this is awful! I got to turn this off." This is just you just can't tear your eyes away from the screen because you know something is going to happen. And when you suddenly get a, a mid musical, a mid movie musical number for no reason except they needed to chuck someone in there to pad it out a little bit, and even the song is goofy as hell. It's so eighties, it's ridiculous. But <laughs> thumbs up, very high recommendation for me. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Tremendous, and and I was uh, as a lot of these films that we're talking about, as I've already mentioned, that my first marathon was um, 2011. So a lot of these films I was introduced to by by skeets at what we call the Ghosts of Marathon Past, which was a evening session at uh, at skeets where we would watch these uh, about three or four of these films before the new marathon was to come up. This is a refresher, in effect. Yeah. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, that one is just just amazeballs, to, to use a word I've never used before, but there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and so what's your number two, Darren? Right. My number two, well, as much as it scarred me, um, I think I have, to, I have to go with it. It's... Uh, and I, it's hard to know if I enjoyed it at the time, but it's it stayed with me for well, pretty much up until now. Is uh, we saw a film after Caddyshack on t- in 2011 called Black Vengeance. Now it goes by other names, and we prefer the one called Poor Pretty Eddie. And oh my god, this film! <laughs> I I don't know if I I liked it, enjoyed it, or but it's. It's just lived with me for so, so long. <laughs> that uh, it stars Le- Leslie Uggams. It uh, also has uh, Shelley Winters in there as well. Um, has uh, Dub Taylor. There's um, the guy who played Lurch from the Adams Family. 
as a uh, as the local woodcutter, I think, or or something. Yeah. And there's uh, Slim Pickens. It's um, it's a it's a redneck bonanza. Is this movie? <laughs> it's uh, and it's hard to know how to talk about it in a in a woke society that we are, <laughs> but it. <laughs> but I it's, think the um, words "rape revenge" need to be just said pretty explicitly. It, <laughs> very, it, it, very much. One of its alternate titles was "Redneck County Rape." It was also called "Heartbreak Motel Massacre at Redneck County" and just plain old "Redneck County." So it, it put the cards on the table pretty hard. Wow! Well, Heartbreak Motel doesn't really put the cards <laughs> on the table at all. That oh, sounds like well, there is a seventies weepy. <laughs> Poor Pretty Eddie is a um, is a, a a terrible Elvis impersonator, uh, so that that could be oh, part yeah, of no, what they so. were. Uh, we're hinting that there, but it's uh, there's essentially it's uh, Leslie Uggams playing a version of herself. Um, having I don't just didn't know her outside this film. Um, I I was first introduced to her from an episode of The Muppets. <laughs> she couldn't be couldn't be further away from this movie if it fucking tried. <laughs> uh, so she just um, she just performed um, at the Super Bowl or something, something along that. She'd sung the national anthem, and then she was um, driving out to the country to get away to a, a little cabin out in the country, and then everything just goes. Oh, so horrible. Yes. It, it goes downhill rapidly. Like, oh, <laughs> it's like there's only, there is only downhill. There's, uh, they've taken <laughs> up the, the, the up part. It's just straight down from there. Right. Yeah, it's a crevasse. Yeah. It's, I mean, basically, you know, to put it bluntly, she is an African-American who gets stranded in a town full of the most racist people in America. And it's... It's just there's no one to root for. She's not even a very nice character herself. She's she basically gets there and talks down to everybody around her. She's quite elitist. Yeah, she really is. And it's and I mean you've got a, a character who wants to be a singer. Uh, our main character, Paul Pretty Eddie, and Eddie wants to be a singer, and he's not a good singer. But he also is a well, let's put it, a lecherous uh, attempted rapist, and it's. It's it's not a it's not a family film. No, but Shelley Winters is amazing. In yeah, this as <laughs> and and somehow a little it's maybe not a lot but a little sympathetic because it feels like it's a lot of it's a lot of the story of her life anyway that she was a very pretty woman who has kind of gone to seed and all her dreams have sort of broken and she's not getting quite what she wanted out of life anymore. And kind of that was where Shelley Winter was, Winters was at this time in her career, getting these kind of independent shrieky characters, the uh, Grand Dame Guignol type movies. Of which is one of my favorite genres. Yeah, you bring those over a lot, and they normally Shelley Winters, I think, is our. Uh, when we did a, a countback, she is our most viewed actress on our regular Friday <laughs> Saturday night. Yeah, so uh, yeah, Dick Miller from A Bucket of Blood is our most viewed male actor, and Shelley Winters is catching up rapidly as our most viewed female actress because uh, she's she, tremendous. 
does so many different things, and you quite often we think of her as, as you know, crazy Shelley Winters, but she's got a great range going back over her career. So, yeah, definitely a big fan of her around here. Absolutely. Well, Night of the Hunter for for one. I mean, ah, oh, such an amazing film. There's, um, I've been catching up with a Blu-ray which has a um, extra feature called Filming Night of the Hunter, which is two and a half hours of outtakes uh, and things from the original camera negatives that have audio of um, Charles Lawton directed a lot while he was shooting. So rather than stop rolling, he'd give direction to the actors to do another take and things like that. And there's also scenes that were never included in the original. And so that rather than just being a collection of outtakes, it um, assembles the film more or less chronologically walking through it with a bit of narration of what happens and what scenes are there and what not, and what was filmed by a second unit. And it's one of the most fascinating making ofs ever. Um, oh, wow. So yeah. I've got that Blu-ray. I might watch that this afternoon after this. That sounds great. Yeah. Well, you didn't have any plans? <laughs> <laughs> I like to wing it, so, you know, just go with yeah. the flow. <laughs> My two other titles are both from 2009, and they played back-to-back, but they're each so nutjob that they probably uh, deserve their own space. And I'm proud to be one of the people who was smart enough to sleep through mill of the stone woman. Um, because <laughs> that, that was at about three in the morning, uh, two 30 in the morning or something. And that gave me, as far as I can tell, I missed nothing. And that gave me the energy to get through two of the most brain breaking films I've ever seen. Uh, and the first of those is night train to terror. Now, at normal times of day, I might have been able to figure out what the deal was with Night Train to Terror. <laughs> Basically, it starts off with the most catchy, most inane musical number, um, Dance With Me, Dance With Me. And anyone who's um, seen the film can already sing the rest of it. Mommy's uh, at the shopping mall buying you shoes. Yes, exactly. Everybody's <laughs> got something to do with everybody it, but you. Edit, edit in the clip of it right now. I don't give a crap about copyright right now. And I heard it as everybody's got something to prove, everybody fuck you, because I was <laughs> And Which is also an inaccurate summation of the director's <laughs> intents as well. Um, and that's what I sing at the top of my voice when it's playing in the car on the uh, on the Skeets <laughs> Marathon disc. <laughs> yes, I make up a CD each year of, of songs from the previous year, so I am a nurse. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and so we make our way down the train, and I feel like I'm suspecting from the title this is going to turn into like Terror Train or some kind of slasher on a train. And instead we get to a table where two metaphysical entities who are either explicitly God and Satan or God and Satan surrogates exist and start discussing whether humanity deserves to keep existing. And then they turn to their left uh, or right, they they look to the side and they they look at a story which is meant to illustrate this. And I'm like, this is a really bizarre framing device. And we start watching this tale. Um, and I I forget exactly which of the three stories happens first, but I didn't realize there were three stories. This is basically the story of Night Train to Terror, is that it's an omnibus film made from a couple uncompleted films and a completed film that's cut down. And so there's these three short stories with this bridging segment, but I didn't get any of this. I just got that. Okay. This is the whole framing thing. And you kind of, you've watched enough feature films. You kind of 
know um, the rhythms. And then suddenly, I think it's the first segment that has Richard Mall from uh, Night Court in it, retrieving bodies and things. And, and John suddenly- Philip Law's in there too, I believe. Yeah. There's, I think and- he's our hero for, the, uh, for that one. And it just starts, suddenly it just starts really escalating. The back half of it goes into overdrive. And then we're back on the train and Dance With Me, Dance With Me is going on again. And I had, Hey, George, I had, how about some hamburgers and beer? There's no food on this train. Yeah, and I, I had something resembling a mild panic attack of just like... <laughs> Uh, it was kind of like being trapped in Groundhog Day or something, where you're just like, is, is the is the film broken? Is my brain broken? What's go-? you know? And it took me a long time to recover from that. But there's something that's so um, so, uh, that I I quite enjoy about that. You know, I mean, I really enjoy um, being taken out of my normal, and that took me very far out of my normal. And I think the thing about Night Train to Terror is even if you know that going in, it's still quite a fun watch. Um, I've wind up buying the Blu-ray, although I haven't yet got around to watching the full cut of um, Death Wish Club, which is Mm. an extra on there, which I'm desperate to see uh, at some point. But um, yeah, it's a fascinating, fun little artifact. But um, in that context, it was just next level brain breaking, uh, unforgettable, and even more with the film that followed it, which I'll get to on my next go round. Some call it the Heavenly Express, others <laughs> Satan's cannonball. We guarantee to deliver every passenger to his right destination. We've watched that musical number far too many times. <laughs> Someone, some genius, did take all the clips of the band and edited it together into a single music video and put it on YouTube. And we watch it every couple of months just to refresh our memories. It's fantastic. It's, it really is. The first sequence, as I say, they cut it down to just the good bits of that movie. And it's it gives you a seizure. It's just bang, 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 stab, 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 stab. It's, it's like Moulin Rouge with gore. It's, it's just, it just fires stuff at you. And it's it's really quite brain-breaking too because Richard Mole is in two of the movies that they use. So he's in the first segment and in the mm. last segment as a different character. And it's by that stage it was 5 o'clock in the morning. It was just one of the more bizarre things I've seen there. But it sure as hell kept me awake because I stayed awake for Miller the Stone Woman. And as the credits rolled for Miller the Stone Woman, I went, I have no idea what just happened. It was glacial pace. I remember a lot of a lot of windmills, and that was pretty much it. Cause it was, and then I'm like, <laughs> That's I'm all I remember, out. too. I'm going to crash out. This next film is not going to keep me awake. Holy crap, what's going on? And yeah, <laughs> loved it. Love it like a, a slightly deformed child. It's great. <laughs> right, and on that note, is it over to me again? Uh, yeah, back at yes. you. Right, so number three. Now, this was a tough one. I kept, I kept looking forward and back, and it was... There was one from 2011. I didn't really want to know if I wanted to talk about 2011 because that's Darren's bag. But I will give <laughs> yes. a, a shout yeah. out. Fuck off out of 2011, <laughs> mate. That's mine. That, that, that's yours. But I am going to give a shout <laughs> out to the, uh, the film that played right before breakfast in 2011. I'm not sure if this is your third choice. Oh, uh, no, it's not. So please go for it. That's a good uh, one to talk about. So this definitely, it was a movie called Didn't You Hear? Or as Darren likes to call it. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you. Didn't you hear? (laughs) (laughs) Didn't you hear is just 
an insane piece of movie once again. People, places, unseen faces of which disappear. (laughs) It's got the most overwrought 70s theme song ever, and it is basically a student film. So once again, it's for me a bizarre film, but in a very different way from the others, because it's basically a 70s trippy head film basically it's just kind of things happen again once again and it's it's all it's once again kind of maybe has a plot i haven't seen it since the marathon because it's bloody obscure and it's it just kind of takes you places it's got gary Busey in it and one of his youngest film roles <laughs> student gary Busey. And apparently it was a student film that was then given money to be made into a feature film so they added stuff to it but it's there's, there's a lot of kind of philosophical discussions, and there's a, uh, they, they had a yacht, so they spent a lot of time on this yacht, sailing places. And it's, it is a dream sequence, but it may not be a dream sequence. And my favourite moment of all the marathons came when about three quarters of the way through, and I'm staring hard at the screen at about 6am, and I looked at the start of 6 a.m., probably about 7, 7, quarter past 7 in the morning. I look up at the side of the screen where this big arch around the stages, and the walls were pulsating. The movie <laughs> made me hallucinate, and I am not making that up. And I went, this is the best movie I've ever seen. I think it's a movie. I, I don't know how my legs worked at the end, but I went to get up to go for breakfast, and my legs just went, no, no, we're not doing this. Just <laughs> <laughs> stay right here until you work out what plane you're on. So it oh is, wow! It's it, once again such a hard movie to describe, but it's it's a it's a trip and a half. You can find I think a trailer of it online, and you can find the theme song if you really want to torture your eardrums. But that is is definitely something that was once again to be experienced, not to be enjoyed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to be I survived, remember. and survivalism yeah. is really a uh, <laughs> key component of the uh, experience. Yeah, and oh, by well, the I was Sorry. just going to say about that one. I uh, I remember quite at some well, wondering what the fuck is this all the way through, but and then for some reason I must have fallen asleep in the last minutes of the movie, which uh, and where actually something happens, something, something really happen. strange that we can't really discuss. Except I suppose no one's ever going to be able to see this movie anyway, are we? Are they? Blu-ray release. I've, I've never found a copy of it. Not on YouTube. Not anywhere. I've never been able to figure out where you can find this. We're basically. I mean, let's let's get the spoiler that's because this movie is it's <laughs> kind of it's it's in the head of Captain Neuroses. He's he wants to date a girl, and he imagines himself as this this adventurer taking her off on this this quest, this metaphysical quest where they sit around and discuss things around fires, and they they have. Happy Happy World Day at one stage. I remember them half waking up and they were all shouting, Happy World Day! Happy World Day! Like, what, what are you doing? And at the end, he comes out of his long, hour-long daydream and he asks the friend of this girl if he can see her and she says, Didn't you hear? And he looks directly at the camera and we, we close. And it's like, What? Did you die? In the, in, the, in the course of you having a daydream, did she just explode? What happened? Didn't she actually in, internally combust? I thought I had someone mentioned uh, that. I don't know. I think that may have been someone's other hallucination because I don't remember that for sure. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> see, it, just, it just makes no sense and it goes places that you didn't expect it to go because once it starts, you're just like, oh, it's, a, it's some 
college kid thing, you know, maybe a drama. And no, we're on a trip. We're utterly on a trip. So that is definitely one of the experiences. I'm going to give one more final shout out to uh, the biggest rush I had at the marathon, and that was uh, movie two of 2008 when the opening notes of Krull played. Oh. <laughs> and I nearly went out of my seat. Um, I think I went up about three octaves because Krull, even though it is, it's episodic and it's somewhat dated and is British as in stage actors acting like they are on the stage, it is just my childhood in a nutshell because that movie influenced everything from the, the monsters that we had in our uh, games that we played with with Lego after that for about five years. So fucking cool. Well, my third and final is the one-two punch of Miami Connection. Hey! It's, uh, and, and then The Reanimator. This is the, the last two films that played in 2011, which, as we've already said, is my sandbox that I get to play in. And Miami Connection, I mean, how do we even begin to explain this movie? <laughs> just just to say, if you're going to put out a seven inch with the songs from uh, Move Marathon, uh, one side might have uh, Dance With Me from Night Train to Terror, and the other side <laughs> have Friends from Dragon Sound from Miami. Oh, friends. <laughs> friends. <laughs> oh, I actually have that 7-inch, by the way, the Miami Connection one. Oh, nice. oh really? Yeah. If I ever get to DJ out again, I used to, back when Golden Dawn was around, I'd do DJ sets and throw that in. Nice. Wow. I mean, Miami Connection is well. I mean, this this has got so much history to this movie as well. But the uh, the the star is um, YK what, Kim. YK Kim. He's what in his forties playing a T a. Uh, a teenager yeah, or teenager, something along school, those lines. I think it's supposed to be in high school. Uh, high school, very yeah. old high schoolers. Yeah. No, it's it's a university actually. Oh, okay. still, well, he was it's... in the 1950s. Well, that makes it okay then. Yeah, he was. It was born '56. He was 31 at the time. He looked older, but um, yeah, he was not a university age at the time. So here's the most simple way to describe it. So I've just gone to IMDb because it's just. It's, it's it's so much going on in this film uh, but here we are a martial arts rock band goes up against a band of motorcycle ninjas who have tightened their grip on Florida's narcotics trade and that's the easiest way to describe this movie <laughs> if you don't want to see it yet uh, from that description you are not my friend and uh, you will have to make this up you're off my Christmas card because oh. I've shown this to everyone in the group that we uh, have from regular movie nights. I've shown this to my nieces. I've watched this drunk. I've watched this sober. It is a joy every time. We'd seen it before the marathon, though. I'm pretty sure you showed it to me before we saw no, it at the I, marathon. No, I showed you afterwards. I had never seen it before the marathon. It came oh, along really? as it was described as a, a lost trash classic, and I had never seen it. So there's been similar ones that we have seen movies at the marathon that we have watched before in our, in our regular movie no, uh, nights, but Miami Connection came out and left field and just hit me and just made me a believer right off the bat. Because uh, I mean, right off the bat, must... you've got, no, 
the, the, just the opening shot simply reads somewhere in Florida, and the movie called <laughs> Miami Connection. I think I can get. <laughs> well, they're connected. You see, that's that's the idea. Is I made the connection. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's from my father. Oh, my God. Yes. Oh, there is, there is um, so many scenes in this that, that just stick. Um, to say, if you want to get a real good run out of it, uh, I believe Saturday Night Freak Show, uh, watch Miami Connection, one of, our, one of my favorite podcasts. So a little shout out to them. And they absolutely adored it, I believe. So I'm going to make sure I have I watched a couple of different podcasts. I'm fairly sure they did that. And that they did like an hour and a half deep dive into it. So... Yeah, if you if you ever gotta listen to a podcast apart from us, go listen to them. There's well, also Hollywood are going to be playing it, or were going to be playing it, um, at uh, soonish. But of course, the uh, COVID nineteen is taking care of that, so there will be eventually an opportunity to see it in the cinema, along with I believe YK's other film. Is it Ninja Turf? A.K.A. L.A. Street Fighters, yes. Yeah, I'm not sure if that's one of his or not. Oh, it's the same director, Wu Sang same Park, director, sorry. Not the, same, not the same actor. Yeah, that's got the even older people. Because they are supposed to be in high school there, and one of the guys is my age, I swear to God. It's, that's a, not a strange film. Just just weird yeah. directorial choices, such as a shower in a room. It's not a bathroom, just a shower, and he's surrounded by pop plants. And it's just like, this is what you <laughs> on your home there, Dad? Up to you, I'm not judging, but... Uh, yeah, that's that's quite an odd one too. Very melodramatic. Whereas Miami Connection is not melodramatic; it's just bonkers. There's, it's everything. It's 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 basically if Furious had a budget, uh, it would be Miami Connection. So, <laughs> <laughs> and, and our he... listeners won't have heard Furious, seen Furious yet, or if they have, it's not on our recommendation. But that's a tip to a film that's coming up. That's, uh, yeah, feel, worth catching up. And also Philip Ree from Furious is in L.A. Street Fighters. So that kind of squares the circle there. Exactly. Oh, anyway, wow. What do we put these uh, episodes out on now? Because things have been a little bit months. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> we'll, we'll just, I think we'll keep our regular uh, season as it is and then have quarantine episodes as uh, bonus episodes. But, you know, we'll we'll see uh, what makes sense. We'll see how long we're trapped in these houses for. If I last one Sound of us screaming and throwing stuff at you know with the walls and you know we've been here too long. <laughs> <laughs> and Miami Connection has um, one of the best villains. It's like Freddie Mercury as a even camper. <laughs> it's uh, Freddie Mercury as a bad guy is just tremendous. Oh, it it's... also has um, Axel Rose as a bad guy, or a very skinny Axel Rose looking dude. Who's just made, who does kind of he does he attempts to an Ali shuffle and he just looks like he's having an absolute seizure. It's just amazing. Oh, there's just too much. It's uh, again, it's one of the. I keep bringing up films that are so good that we can't talk about them too much because <laughs> we don't want to spoil anything uh, from it. But uh, that is tremendous. Reanimator, which is um, I did rewatch last night in a beautiful 4K print edition. Ooh. Do you have the Blu-ray of it or something? I do indeed, yes. Oh, jealous. It was just tremendous. It's an amazing film. I'm I'm actually not a great fan of gore. That's um, been a a problem over the past uh, 11, 12, 13 years that I've been with Skeets. In fact, uh, going to movies at Skeets has been part of a therapy to get used to uh, horror. (laughs) 
It's uh, yeah. which doesn't always take. <laughs> exactly. We, we but Reanimator is so bloody funny. And oh, that's yeah, it. Reanimator is it's so cartoonish in its score and yeah. so over the top. But um, it's tremendous film. It stars Jeffrey Coombs, who, and and Barbara Crampton, who's is just magnificent. It's um, Jeffrey Coombs playing a mad scientist, but in the most grounded way I've really ever seen someone play a mad scientist. He has he brings a reality to his over the topness and twitchiness. Which is really quite surprising. I thought it then, and I, I, I even more so think it now from last night's viewing. It's uh, I, I, how much of the story shall we shall we tell on this one? Yeah, well, it is. I mean, a lot of people I think who listen to this probably will have seen the movie, and if you haven't, you should go and see the movie. Uh, and it is available around. But I mean, it's it's an H.P. Lovecraft adaptation, and it's made by Stuart Gordon, who is fantastic at. Uh, at adapting these uh, Lovecraftian films and spoiler alert um, since he has just recently sadly passed away we will be doing a Stuart Gordon episode coming up Uh, so we'll get at the end of this episode keep listening we'll tell you what movies you have to watch for your homework (laughs) that's it but I mean yeah and reanimator again we'll just go to IMDB for a very brief potted plot So after an odd new medical student arrives on campus, a dedicated local and his girlfriend become involved in a bizarre experiments centering around the reanimation of dead tissue, which is actually, again, it's a a nice way of getting the plot across. So much more happens in the film than that. And and some very unpleasant um, unwokenness occurs as well, but it's, uh, it's just tremendous. Yeah, and and being a, able to see that on 35mm is my very first screening, and it was the last film, but yeah. I was a, awake the whole way through that thing. And it was, it's such a cult classic that, that our screening literally started, the, the audio did not kick in for about 45 seconds. And one of our uh, fellow marathoners, Dave, who loves it like a child, was repeating the dialogue from memory. That we were missing. So um, oh, it's it's right. it's got so much love for this film. It's just ridiculous, and it, you know, I, I and deservedly so. Yeah. I, a little personal story. I saw this back uh, on VHS, uh, and I was fairly young, probably too young to be watching it. Uh, but I saw the sequel, *Brighter Reanimator*, uh, by inadvertently mentioning it to my church youth group leader, uh, <laughs> who then who then rented it for a, uh, a sleepover movie night that we did. So we ended up watching Pride of Reanimator with a at bunch church. of supposedly, no, well, at his house, but supposedly a bunch of little Christian kids. Uh, we were watching that and had a great time. I also did mention another movie to him, which I really shouldn't have, because uh, a few weeks after that, we ended up watching the movie Videodrome. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I will point out he wasn't probably the best choice to be our youth group leader, but he was a nice guy and he liked movies, so um, I'm not going to top him in. <laughs> wow. Well, let me drop some uh, trivia nuggets on you yeah. both. Yeah. It's, uh, this is just from, uh, just from IMDb, but uh, there's, a, there's a scene at the beginning of the film where our hero-type character, Dan, is seen attempting to resusc- resuscitate a woman. Right at the beginning of the film. Now, according to uh, to the um, 
to IMDb, which of course is definitely backed up by fact. The um, they state here that that woman that Dan is seen attempting to resuscitate at the beginning of the film was a dildo enthusiast, and was known to hide dildos with the fake corpses in the morgue set. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> oh, only the best review you get from this podcast. Seriously. <laughs> How, do you actually get like a little card to say you're a dildo enthusiast? Is there, is there a test you have to pass? <laughs> I think you get a plaque. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's in the yes. shape of a dildo. It's yes. uh, the only rubber plaque in history. <laughs> <laughs> wow. One, one I'm, more. Working on, I'm, I'm working on my master's now. <laughs> <laughs> one more trivia chunk for you. It's uh, according Please tell to me it doesn't involve sex toys. <laughs> Um, it does. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're sort of in the middle here. So according to Stuart Gordon, the morgue security guard who leaves his post repeatedly for coffee was actually going to masturbate. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. Now that's the sort of finding that out after the fact I do appreciate. I'm looking at you. Exactly. Now, all right. <laughs> if we could have disappearing off screen, not chasing weird shit across the galaxy, but to have a quick you know, and back again. Yeah, that well, that's it. The old five finger shuffle. It's uh... exactly. <laughs> um, right. well... so it's only day four, and we've officially gone stir crazy. <laughs> <laughs> only get more from here, folks. Stay tuned. But, but it's, uh, it's just a tremendous film, and it was um, yeah, being introduced to it at the marathon. It's, I'd already decided I was going to come back and back and back and back and back to the marathon anyway. Um, but that was just the absolute cherry, the, the gory, gory, eye-popping cherry on the top was was the uh, reanimator. It just tremendous. A phenomenal year. I mean, the, for me, going to all these ones over the 18 years, that was stands up pretty high. The only one for me I didn't like that year was Blood, which was an Andy Milligan film. And I freaking loved that film. <laughs> oh, I didn't like that. Slept through that. He likes also, yelling. That's why. Yeah. What was that? Also, you like yelling. Yelling. <laughs> There's <laughs> a lot of lots yelling. of yelling in Blood. That, that I hated that one. But uh, that same year had Equinox, had Fair Game, which is an Australian. Uh, oh yeah, that's a good one. Just, oh. It had the Night of the Cat, which broke people's brains. And oh, yeah. uh, I mean, I had Caddyshack in there, and I'm not a Caddyshack fan, but everyone around me loved Caddyshack, and I just went, "Well, I can maybe appreciate it a bit more now." And it's still not my favorite in the '80s, but like, yeah, it was good. It was fun. I tried to rewatch that last night. I watched the first hour, and I didn't laugh at all. And I'm wondering if it's it's one of those films that is really a a crowd type yeah, movie because yeah. I just couldn't. Mm. I don't. I can't remember if I liked it or not at the marathon, but I really didn't like it on this viewing. <laughs> I think a lot of comedies from that era, like Caddyshack and Stripes, it's just like, it's, I mean, even watching comedies from the early 2000s, I feel like it's gone from, um, oh, that was really funny to, ooh, that's kind of politically just gross and not really that funny. And so you add another 25 years to that and you get something like Stripes or Caddyshack. And then, um, and then also so many people have riffed on those things since then. I mean, part of comedy is something unexpected and, you know, a lot of those films are just doing what we now expect, which would have been surprising at the time. 
No, fair enough. Well, I think that uh, brings us to your final segment there, well, Doug. Let's just wrap this up. This is going to be speaking... a long, long podcast, but you've you got nothing else to do. So uh... Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Um, speaking of unexpected, um, the I mean, just to quickly sound off some uh, runners-up, I was alluding to 2006 before. None of you mentioned Troll 2 and the famous George Hardy uh, dial-in, <laughs> uh, which uh, began seeming like one of the greatest privileges of the world talking to the lead actor from troll two, which I is a film I highly recommend as well as the documentary about it's making best worst movie, um, which is for those who are unfamiliar might be a better entree point. If you're not convinced on the genius of trash, but if you are willing to take, I think probably everybody's listening knows troll two anyway, but um, yeah, after about 20 minutes of George Hardy, telling rambling stories <laughs> it's like uh, yeah we actually have a marathon to conduct here um yeah. we asked 2000 i asked him one question out of the two and he talked for five minutes after that uh question and never answered it he just talked about skiing and new zealand and dentistry and my question was just you know do you think this is not the worst movie of all time do you think that getting it to the bottom of the internet movie database was was rigged and i still don't know <laughs> 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 Yeah. Um, did I ever tell you that I got to perform the uh, "You Can't Piss on Hospitality" scene in front of George Hardy with Michael Paul Stevenson? Oh, nice. wow! You, you get bonus third points today. Okay, so here's here's a deep cut story for anyone. Um, uh, my friend Andrew Todd and his friend Johnny McInnes Hall uh, were making a film called Go Shark Two: Urban Jaws, and I noticed that I was going to be. Uh, traveling to the States to visit family. And I was going to be in LA at the same time as a double feature screening of um, best worst movie and troll two at the new Beverly. And I said, Hey, do you want me to just see if I can get a quick cameo from George Hardy? And I thought I'd get 15 seconds of him against a brick wall um, yelling about that goddamn ghost shark. Two days later, he had set me up to film a scene with George Hardy Juliet Danielle from The Room and Alan Bogg from Birdemic. Uh, so I literally got off a plane, got to my friend Marisol's house, um, and met George Hardy, who is the most lovely man in the world and was super nervous. He was there with Michael, who um, you know was keeping him company, and, and super lovely. Um, Juliet Danielle, who's also amazingly uh, lovely, and in fact... Um, her she so, was so um, good in the film that they went back and got extra scenes with her uh, and having her dead mom or her mom on a ventilator that got shut down by the EMP that the mayor detonates to try to kill the ghost shark. Uh, yeah. Ghost Shark 2 Urban Jaws is an incredible, weird, wonderful film made by somebody who's watched so many cult movies that he's come out the other end and the whole kind of <laughs> sincerity parody thing has impossibly blurred to an admixture that it's all those things at once. And um, it's, yeah, just beautiful and strange and wonderful, and I recommend it. Um, and then there was also Alan Baugh from Birdemic. Anyway, um, the, um, the final scene, you might be surprised to learn that... Um, getting off a plane and having an inexperienced director with not much sleep directing actors from three of the worst films of all time, uh, <laughs> had its set of challenges. And, uh, in the end, the scene didn't make it. Although I believe if you buy the film online, it might be included in the deleted scenes. But, um, I then went to the, um, screening that night at best worst movie and troll two. And they, um, 
uh, as it had happened, um, there was a V48 seconds competition many years prior, which was like sort of like a run up to 48 hours. And uh, we were supposed to um, create our recreate our favorite scenes from classic films, but with V instead of uh, what, you know, somehow inter interweaving V into it. And so we, um, uh, me and Alistair, Ty Sampson and the rest of the hybrid, uh, motion pictures crew did three 48 second parodies or not really parodies, just reenactments of, uh, troll Two, uh, a key scene where the young child realizes that the family members are all going to eat the food that will turn them into food for the goblins. And the only way he can stop it is to urinate on said food. And, uh, <laughs> right to it. Right to it. <laughs> and, and, and this uh, leads to a scene where George Hardy's carrying young Michael Paul Stevenson uh, uh, back to his room. is like, do you see this writing on the wall? You know what means hospitality and you can't piss on hospitality. I won't allow it. Anyway. So they had a Blu-ray giveaway of troll two for anybody who could do a line from the film. And I'm like, I got this because I had played <laughs> And so I asked Michael Paul Stevenson if he'd be willing to be my scene partner, and sure enough. So that's how I own my Blu-ray of Troll 2. Oh, nice. Wow. That's anyway, great. none of which has anything to do with the uh, <laughs> film that I was going to talk about, which is the second half of the Night Train to Terror double feature, um, which a lot of people didn't actually watch at the time because Night Train to Terror was thoroughly brain-breaking. And then to follow it up with The Visitor, which I should clarify very quickly, is not the 2007 Richard Jenkins starring film about a um, well-meaning New Yorker who takes in a uh, refugee. But uh, the 1979... Yeah, it's for what it is. (laughs) Um, But it's a 1979 film by an Italian director uh, filmed in Atlanta, um, which I would have described as uh, Space Jesus meets the birds meets the omen with a little girl. Um, IMDb describes it as the soul of a young girl with telekinetic powers becomes the prize in a fight between forces of God and the devil. Um, Sure. (laughs) It doesn't even touch half of what's going on in that film. I think the inevitable return of interstellar Jesus uh, was the way I summed that up in my review. But um, it's, yeah... Once again, we're talking about a movie that's going to be bloody hard to describe. Yeah, it's it's just a genuine journey. It's got an all-star cast, our friend Shelley Winters. Uh, for some reason, a lot of directors, any of whom probably should have been whispering to the actual director. Um, Sam Peckinpah and John Huston in it. Uh, Mel Ferrer, Glenn Ford, Lance Hendrickson. Um, and it also has one of the most epic soundtracks of all time. There are oh, all yes. these quotidian boring shots of people walking across a street that suddenly with this late seventies psych funk jazz, whatever it's (laughs) suddenly feels like the most epic thing you've seen in your life. And it's like John Houston is literally slowly walking across the street in a not very interesting (laughs) shot. And you were going to get a clip up on this. I'm going to put a link on the Twitter to the entire thing because you have to watch it. And then imagine watching or listening to that, at very high volume at 6.30 in the morning after 15 hours of movie. So, um, yeah, it is yeah, amazing. It, and it just keeps getting weirder and weirder. Yeah, the, the, that film, 
Uh, I've revisited multiple times and it's one of my favorite films I've ever discovered from the marathon. And there's been a lot that I've discovered and it is transporting. So, um, and and true that. And the big thing about it is the movie version that we saw was a 90 minute long American cut called the visitor. The original movie is called Stridulum. It's Italian and it's 104 minutes long. So we lost nearly 15 minutes to get that American cut. What they did when they cut that is they cut a lot of the pre-credit sequence, which basically explains the plot and has interstellar Jesus in it, who we, in our cut, never see until the final scene, yeah. uh, which is confusing. Uh, I, I, here's, this is actually from my review at the time. To try and get across the experience of watching this, I suggest getting a high fever, popping some extra length cotterel, and then playing a montage of scenes from The Omen, The Dark Half, The Bad Seed, an NBA game, and what the hell, 2001 A Space Odyssey. Play two <laughs> CDs at the same time, one of disco, the other of a brass band. <laughs> it's, it's utterly insane. And I, I have once again gone, gone out and found this film, and I've got the, the full Italian stridulum cut, and it does make slightly more sense. But oh, I love this movie so much. <laughs> it is, it's just a once again, a wonderful thing that is... You're not going to pick how this movie ends. You're not going to pick how the next scene ends. It's yeah. It just really, you know, when you're when you're on a caffeine high at six o'clock in the morning, it's a trip. When you're watching it at home with a cup of coffee, it's still a trip. This is one of the films that uh, I uh, was introduced to by the Ghosts of Marathon Past. It has since become one of my favourite films of all time. I just <laughs> adore it. And John Huston is all about um, uh, sending someone to look after Cody College. And uh, <laughs> Shelley Winters is playing a good guy for a change. And... Uh, there's a this on the face, but um. well, yeah, but she does it nicely. Um, <laughs> out of love, a Glenn Ford versus a hawk. Um, <laughs> there's kind of a Rosemary baby, Rosemary's baby feel to the start of the movie as well, of course, with the sort of a dark cabal um, planning to uh, bring Katie Collins into the into the world it's um yeah it's just tremendous this film <laughs> it's it's anyone want to bring up any any particular scenes they want to try and talk about or <laughs> no i think it's better to just leave it as a surprise for people yeah it's 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 i think it's the only thing that really got me that woke me up at the stage was the snap from interstellar jesus to basketball and mm. there's an amazing scene involving an ice rink and well, that's all I'm going to say about that. But um, it is well worth finding. Uh, we're going to try and put as many links on these movies on the Twitter as possible for places you can stream and things like that. I don't know if you can stream this, but if you can find a copy of it, definitely watch it. And I was I actually very privileged, thanks to Doug, of uh, seeing it on the big screen. Uh, oh, yeah, it was one of my played, bachelor party movies, right? It was your bachelor party movie at the Capitol. Yes, yes. it was... And that was was tremendous. I'd already seen the film about six or seven times before that moment, but uh, seeing it on the big screen just lends it uh, just that little bit extra. And that was just awesome. My pleasure. Um, On that note, let's wrap up in um, just in terms of next week's programming or well, next week we'll be back to a normal uh, episode, but for our next quarantine episode, as mentioned before, we'll do the Stuart Gordon 
uh, trilogy uh, of other HP Lovecraft adaptations that are not reanimator by Stuart Gordon. And potentially <laughs> after we see all three of them, we may have an even more incredibly specific link. But um, two of them are pretty uh, readily available. Castle Freak is on Tubi. And uh, Dagon, at least in New Zealand, is on Amazon Prime. And then the third uh, film that fits that category is From Beyond, which I think is a little harder to find for free, but I suspect might be out there on some various rental sites. Yeah, you can rent it on Amazon uh, in the States for about four bucks. Uh, I haven't found any of the streaming sites around here, but uh, it is definitely out there on DVD and Blu-ray, I'm sure, uh, by now. And if we can find a uh, a link, I'll put a link for that if I can find anything around. But uh, that is the only one of those three I've actually ever seen. Uh, I have seen From Beyond. It's going to be interesting to revisit. Really looking forward to this, actually, because this um, Stuart yes. Gordon, he's definitely one of those directors who he's got a niche that he is very good at. So um, fingers crossed there are going to be some good films there. I might see if I can find his Masters of Horror episode. I believe oh, that's also be quite good as well. Yeah. I believe oh, that's also Lovecraft, too, isn't it? It's uh, House of the Witch or something... We'll uh, do some research and uh, post it on Twitter, and we'll uh, add it to the uh, notes for the next time, their supplemental viewing. Definitely. And now we're about two hours into this, and all of my coffee wants to escape because this episode was sponsored not by beer but by coffee. So I think we should do a really fast wrap-up so I can um, run away really quickly. Okay, go (laughs) pee, and we'll see you next time. (laughs) All right. See you all. And keep safe. Definitely. Okay. Bye. Bye. Bye.